As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes adult film stars, sportsman drag racing, and sometimes we go live for episode 300. Yeah, Luke, live. I mean, everybody sees us, hears us, and watches us live. I was scared. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I was really scared, but we got through it. We are uh, We're recording this intro specific to those of you tuning in to uh, to listen via audio but yeah we uh we stream the meat of this live to the sportsman drag racing fa- sportsman drag racing podcast facebook fa- page uh had some great interaction with the hashtag loyal listeners uh closed the show with a little bit of uh ama right ask me anything but before that jed we had a lot to get to here the the, the NHRA season came to an end in Pomona, and my goodness, it didn't disappoint. We talked Bob Locke, who is the story of the season, might be the story of the century in sportsman drag racing. We lead with that. We talked Bob Locke. We talked Cooter. We talked Lance Abbott. We talked Peter the Great. We talked Pete the Great. Plus, like I said, some listener submitted AMA. All that and more. But first, P. Jizzle, 300 times for Rizzle. Here is that moment to go green, hit the tree and drive. Um, tomorrow. Um, and at the same time, 
I think it's it's worth noting, like the format here is going to be a little bit different. Like part of going live is that we want to be interactive with you, right? So we're going to go through, we're going to talk about Pomona. We're going to talk about Peter Dominate and Galat. We're going to get to a, a lot of things that caught our attention over the course of the last week. But then the, the second half of the show, we want it to be very much user-defined, right? Listener-defined um, in terms of this is a celebration, right? 300. And we would like to have not necessarily back and forth conversation or discussion, but we'd like to discuss the topics that you bring to light. So the easiest way to do that is just to be to comment on this live feed on Facebook. As we get to that portion of the show, Paige will bring those to our attention and, and we'll go whatever direction you guys want to go. We What is this in the podcasting industry, Jed? Like a AMA? Is that, is that how they call it? Is that what they call it? Ask me anything? Oh, okay. I had no idea what that meant, but uh, yeah, ask us anything. We're we're uh, we're very transparent. We're an open book, so we're ready for any questions. All right. So what we're going to get to today is um, Pomona. Obviously, we'll start there. Bob Lock, Hooter, Lance Abbott, points chases everywhere. Peter the Great, Pete the Great. Plus <laughs> your topics, your questions, and Jed. Let's start there, right? Pomona. I guess it never really disappoints. You know, it's it's always it's the culmination of the NHRA season. And I almost feel bad because it seems like I say that coming into this this week, this past weekend, I almost felt bad because it seems like we dedicate so much time and energy because and I feel like it's because I love the NHRA stuff and the drama of the point season. But we've talked about this for the last month, it seems like, right? As these points chases wind down. But I'm telling you. I don't think it's just me. This thing captivated the sportsman drag racing world. Like, I don't think, I know we deal in hyperbole on the show, but I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that what we just witnessed, not just Pomona, but really the last month, but especially at Pomona, I think it's fair to say that this has the, been the greatest, most dramatic, most fun, most engaging end to a NHRA Lucas Oil season I was going to say in recent memory, but it, it may very well be ever. Yeah, it could very well be, Luke. Obviously, uh, I haven't been one that followed it that closely, but it's certainly the most exciting, uh, most intriguing one that I can remember in my time of these discussions on the podcast. Uh, when you think about, and we'll talk about it here shortly, when you think about it all being first-time champions you know, it's one thing for these things to go in the late rounds of the last event and it be people that have been there before, but first time champions emerging in that kind of pressure and those kind of atmospheres. And, you know, it was happening in the last couple of two or three races. I mean, it just incredible, uh, incredible performances by some people that really stepped up and, and accomplished something super special. So uh, looking forward to hearing how it all happened here shortly. To your point, the end result is seven first-time NHRA world champions in the sportsman ranks. Thanks to Austin Williams. He brought it to our attention last week. That's the first time that's happened in almost a decade. 2013 was the last time that every sportsman world champion was a, a first-time champ. And to that end, Four titles decided in Pomona at the last race of the season. Three of those came down to the round, right? The round that's going to decide it one way or the other. And the one that didn't was one of the last ones to be determined. It went into Sunday, 
And it was, there was so much drama. If we zoom out a little bit from Pomona, the lead changed hands at least once within the last three weeks of the season, that Vegas, Vegas, Pomona stretch, the lead changed hands at least once in every category, but one. Jeremy Hancock was the only one that led throughout of all the sportsman champions. He was never really contested. Everything else swapped hands, every other category in the last three weeks of the season. And again, um, seven first time champions, like pretty special stuff. The most notable, I think without question, my man, Bob Locke, did you follow along with this? This was insane. Yes, it was uh, definitely insane, Luke. Um, you know, this, the whole story, the whole journey is incredible. Uh, Bob's journey to even get there and have the opportunity to compete and then to get it done, to win and get it done there so late in the event with all of that pressure. Uh, just a, an amazing performance on Bob Locke's part. Just to just to back up, if if you've been living under a rock and are not familiar with exactly what transpired in Pomona, coming in of the four categories that were undecided, Supergas felt like the one that was least likely to bring drama, right? Coming in, Bob Locke was the longest of long shots. He was the only racer that had the potential to unseat Phil Unruh as this year's national champion. In order to do it, he needed Phil Unruh to lose relatively early. I think Phil was improving a fourth round loss. And as long as Phil didn't improve, Bob Locke had to win the race to win the world championship, not go four rounds, not make the semis, not make the final. He had to win the race. What did he do, Big Jed? He won the damn race. He Luke. won the damn race. <laughs> Defeated former national champion Brian Presler in the final, knocked off perennial top 10 finisher Jason Kenny, knocked off a couple of young, talented Division 7 racers, Evan Kowalski, David, Damon Bustamani along the way. Like I say that to, to emphasize the fact that he did not have an easy path, right? He went dead on the 990 the last two rounds, three of the last four. Under the, I, I would argue, Jed, forget all due respect to the the million dollar race all due respect to the u.s nationals i would argue that he did it on the biggest stage that our sport has to offer with all of the pressure all of the eyeballs on him win the race win the world anything less than you don't absolutely incredible yeah luke i couldn't uh, couldn't agree more you know the uh, with all due respect to the million dollar race or any big bracket race or or even Indy, um, you know, this is a season long journey and a lifelong dream. And that pressure just mounts and mounts and mounts as the, the possibility of you winning gets closer and closer, yet it becomes more difficult each round. I mean, I, I'm speaking out of turn because I don't really understand it. You've lived it lived it a few times and accomplished the goal. So you would know much more than I, but uh, I can only imagine that type of pressure on Bob as he was continuing to turn on wind lights and every wind light getting much, much more difficult. And, and to get that done, that, that has to be the, the most uh, pressure, pressurized moment that, or moments that you can feel in the race car. And he was continuing to, to win against that pressure. Uh, truly incredible.
No, I mean, I can I can speak to it on some level, and I think we've touched on it here on the on the show before. What I did doesn't even compare because it wasn't the last race of the season. It wasn't at Pomona. I don't think anybody else at the racetrack knew what I was racing for, but I did, right? So, but the the only framework I've got, I came into a race years ago as that that long shot, right? Like my the the person that I'm chasing has to lose early. And I'd have to win the race. And, and you come in thinking, well, you got to go, right? You got to give it a shot, but what are the odds? And it's just, there's zero pressure. And then that racer goes down. So, okay, cool. There's, there's, there's the opportunities there, but you're still six win lights away, right? And then they start clicking off one by one. And with every round, it becomes a little bit more real, right? It goes from being this impossible scenario to all of a sudden it's right at your fingertips. And the pressure mounts, right? or at least that's how I felt it, right? Much less. And I didn't have a hundred people coming by the trailer being like, Yo, go get it. Like nobody knew what I was doing, right? It was still, it was in October. This is the last race of the year. Everybody knows what's at stake. Like, I just can't imagine it. And I don't know. I was trying to think through this, Jed. Like, I don't know that we've ever really seen anything like this. Not at Pomona. Like have to win the race at Pomona, at the world finals to win the championship in the sportsman categories. I don't know that it's been done and, and we're doing this live. So if I'm, if I'm wrong, <laughs> let us know in the comments, like the only comp I can give is, is Joe Santangelo doing this back in 2011. That was at Vegas at the last points meet of the year. Again, th- it was going to be the end of the season one way or the other. If he doesn't win the race, Jody Lang was going to win the championship that year. If he wins the race, he's the champ, right? So that had the same closure but it didn't have the same eyeballs, right? It wasn't at the world finals. And Mark Graham flirted with this just a couple of years ago, it was years that Steve Williams won the world in super comp. I think that was 2020. Mark Graham went to Pomona. And if I remember correctly, Jed, he had to make the final. And I believe he was in the quarterfinals racing for a bye to the final. So it was the round. And Graham ended up falling that round, given the championship to Steve Williams. I think that's as close as we've ever been to something like this. Never really, I don't, I can't remember anyone coming into Pomona, has to win the race to win the world and goes out and wins the damn race. Yeah, obviously I don't remember a, a story like it myself, Luke. And, and, you know, again, if you know Bob's journey and he didn't have plans to do this, he, he, didn't seem to be in a financial position that it was comfortable for him to drive across country and compete for, you know, basically three weeks, two or three weeks. Uh, Got some support from a lot of people that wanted to see him chase the dream and, you know, to to take all of that and, and put that into the pressure cooker along with the the challenge of winning rounds, which is most difficult part of the whole thing and him to just get by all of it. I mean, it's a story like no other. It really is. I was looking back, trying to find comparisons and the best thing I can come up with, I don't think anything really compares. The best thing I come up with was uh, Jack Beckman. If you remember Beckman won the super comp championship in back in 2003. And the only reason I don't, I know Beckman won an eight round points meet at Vegas to put himself into contention and then had to put it over the top at Pomona, but I think he had to win third round. Though the reason that it seems like a comp to me is basically just hearing Gary Stinnett tell the story. Cause in, in that, in that iteration of this, Gary Stinnett was in the position that Phil Henry was in right leading and, and having to 
hope that no one surpassed him. And to hear Stennett tell the story, you know, this is back before the internet was really a thing. We're talking 2003. So Stennett's telling the story. He's like, I've got the printout from, you know, the, the NHRA website that's got, you know, what everybody's improving on. And I've got all these papers, you know, stacked up in my trailer so I can try to keep up with it. And he said, when Beckman won at Vegas, he said, I had to go through the trash can because I'd crumpled it up and thrown him out. I didn't think he was a player, right? And all of a sudden he won Vegas. Like, oh, I got to look at this again. And all of a sudden Jack Beckman's got a shot and he gets it done seemingly kind of out of nowhere, similar to if we go through Bob Locke's story. I mean, a month and a half ago, he wasn't on the grid, wasn't, wasn't, we didn't talk about him as a contender for the championship. Um, and and in thinking about the parallels of that, I, I got to research in Beckman a little bit. And I realized that that was the year that that Jack was diagnosed with lymphoma. And that's a similar, another similarity to Bob Locke. Like he's a year removed from a cancer scare of his own. But that's another layer to this story that that just adds to the, the Disney movie aspect to this. And I don't want to focus too much on that today. Like I, I want Bob. Bob to tell that story and I've already reached out to him. We're going to get him on soon, maybe as soon as next week. Um, and that's going to be awesome because if you've, if you've ever talked to that guy, like I, I mentioned this before, but the, the perspective that he has on life and, and racing and the, the proper, I think, priority that he puts it in after what he's been through, I think it's motivational to all of us. And I really think it provides a lens into how he was able to do what he did because you go through what he's gone through, like this ain't pressure. You know what I mean? Like this, this, yeah. this isn't as big a deal as the rest of us might make it. But again, I, I want to let him tell that story. Yeah, as we should. And, and, you know, as much pressure and, and challenge was in his way, I couldn't imagine somebody, at least from the outside looking in, enjoying the journey any more than Bob. He, he really seemed to just embrace the whole journey and, he took it for what it is. I'm going to go give it my best shot. And if it works out, that's wonderful. If it doesn't, uh, obviously with health scares and all of the support that, that came together to get him there, I think he understood, you know, he was blessed to, to be in position to even have a shot. He enjoyed that and appreciated it. Again, it's his story to tell, and I can't wait to hear it from him. But from the outside looking in, man, he, he just seemed to embrace it and enjoy the journey, which is hard to do Luke it really is with with all of that pressure and now you've got people supporting you financially and pushing you to go try to fulfill the dream I imagine you want to do really well for the people that stuck their neck out and offered support that again that is more difficult trying to win for someone else is way more difficult than trying to win for yourself when you're trying to win for a team or a group of supporters that just puts extra pressure on you. And Bob had every bit of that on his shoulders. And, you know, I know he didn't shrug it off easily, but he sure shrugged it off and got it, got the, the ultimate goal accomplished. It sure looked easy from the outside. Yeah, no, I think that's the takeaway here. I feel like Bob's story is one of joy and hope, like joy being, I don't know how you could watch this happen and not be excited for Bob Locke, right? Like, I mean, unless you're Phil Unruh, perhaps, right? We'll get we'll get more on Phil shortly because this is a rough way to go to, to not win a championship. But even if we throw out the, the personal adversity aspect of this, and, and obviously you can't, right? But the, the drama, right? I mean, he had to win the last race of the year on the biggest stage imaginable. 
and it, uh, it it's just unreal, right? And then if you zoom out from that, like I said, joy and hope, right? Hope for all of us, because if you zoom out a little bit, we're talking six weeks ago, it, unless you are a, a diehard follower of NHRA Supergas Racing specific to Division Three, you probably never heard of Bob Locke, right? Like, like I say, Supergas diehards know his name. He he was in contention for the Division Three championship a year ago, but coming into the St. Louis Division race, which again you're talking a month and a half ago, Bob had won one division event in his career. He never made a national event final. He wasn't on the championship radar. He rolls into St. Louis, which the stretch there was in two weekends, we had a national event and two points meets. He loses in the semifinals of the national event, runners up the first leg of the double divisional, wins the second leg of the double divisional, and all of a sudden, he's a contender for the championship, and he's got races remaining. The problem is there's no more races in that part of the country. So even at the racetrack, people are telling him, like, you got to go to Vegas and Pomona. You can win the world championship. And it honestly, you could just see, like, it hadn't crossed his mind until that day, right? Like, what am I going to, how am I going to get to Las Vegas? I mean, this is a guy that I think he went to Virginia to close out last year to try to win the Division Three championship. Outside of that, like, rarely outside of the Division Three footprint. Like, it was a, it's a stretch to drive to Las Vegas in the first place, much less dedicate three weeks of your life to chase this deal. And I really feel like it was a... It, not an obvious decision for him. Like, I think they really went through and some soul searching like, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to go and do this. Right. And then he goes on this. And Luke, I don't want to interrupt you, but it seemed ahead, like yeah. it, at one point in there, he had, because of the, the financial impact it was going to have on him, he, he just gave up on that and said, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't make financial sense for me to, to do this and risk that to go chase this. And that's when obviously that, outpouring of support started coming in. And so they, they decided to make the trip. It starts with two weeks in Vegas that didn't go swimmingly. You know what I mean? Like he didn't improve his score. I think it was second, third round in both races. And so now it sets the stage for Pomona, but you go there and it's the longest of long shots. And in the end, it just sets the stage, makes the story that much more epic, right? But in a six weeks time, Bob Locke has literally gone from an obscure little known division three racer to a, a justifiable full on American folk hero. And rightfully so, like everybody, we can all latch our wagons to this and be like, that's the guy that I want to be. This, this proves it's possible, right? It's so, it's so engaging. I think it's so easy for all of us to associate with like, and it's impossible to root against. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, we're, we're Phil Unruh fans and, and we like Phil and definitely like seeing Phil do well. But like I told uh, Scooter Hamlin when he runnered up at Bristol in a pretty important race to Todd McKinney, we all know the story of Todd's son passing in an auto accident. Sometimes you're just in the way of the story. And if you if you just step back and look at the story, you know, it's the way it's supposed to end and the way it's supposed to be told. That was Phil's part in this whole thing. He was he was just part of the story and the way of it. And and I think that he'll see this for what it is. And it's just Bob Locke's year.
and, and Phil, I'm sure we'll have plenty more opportunities to make runs at it. Well, that's the one thing I wanted to touch on here. Like as good as I feel for Bob, my, my heart does hurt for Phil. Like that's rough, man. Like sure. how good, put yourself in Phil Unruh's shoes for a minute. How good would you feel coming into Pomona, right? It, it, you're there, you're racing. If you can win the fourth round, it's over. And obviously Phil Unruh's capable of that. And even if you didn't, like Bob Locke has to win the race. He's <laughs> never been to a final of a national event. He's 2000 miles from home. And, and yet you just watch him round by round by round do it. And it just sticks the knife a little bit further in. I, like I said, there's a part of me that I don't think you could root against Bob Locke, but at the same time, it hurts to not win the national championship. So Phil's season in his defense, phenomenal, 654 points, right? I've always said, if you, if you crest 650 and you don't win the world, you just tip your cap, you go shake the, the man or woman's hand that beats you. You got nothing to hang your head about. Phil won division events in Vegas and Earlville, runner up at another divisional in Topeka, won the national event at Dallas that was clutch, super clutch, felt, felt clutch at the time, now gets belittled a little bit by what Bob Locke did. Um, and I think it's, it's, uh, it cuts a little bit deeper for Phil just because it's not the first time he's been close, right? Multi-time top 10 finisher, I think, um, predominantly in super stock prior to this, but it, he's no stranger to contending for the world championship. And to this point, hasn't actually got to stand up on that stage. Yeah. And I certainly feel bad for Phil, uh, because he, he seemingly did all the things he needed to do towards the end of the season to put himself in position to win. And obviously when it doesn't work out, it's, it's that kick in the gut that you talk about, but um, obviously feels an experienced racer and, and has seen a lot of life. So I know that he's happy for Bob and sad for himself, but Luca, you know, when we talk about Bob doing this in Pomona, it didn't go well in Vegas, as you discussed earlier. And Pomona is what another five hours west of Vegas. So now things don't go particularly great in Vegas. And you now go five more hours west and knowing you have to win the race and win the damn race. It's an amazing story and, uh, you know, feel at some point we'll be able to just sit back and, and look at his place in the story and go, you know, it's pretty cool to have the opportunity and, and to, to finish second to, to that story and that journey. There's no shame in that whatsoever. A hundred percent. If you're going to take a bad beat, that's a way to, that's the way to take a bad beat, right? So Supergas ended in the most dramatic fashion you could possibly imagine. It went to the last round of the last race. No other class quite got there, but Boy Top Sportsman got close. It was still in doubt going into the semifinal round Sunday afternoon. If you listened to last week's show, you know that coming into Pomona, there was not one, not two, not three, not four, but five racers still in contention to win the national championship. That got whittled to two by Sunday as we got to the semifinal round. Ultimately, no one could deny Lance Abbott, the West Texas runner, made the trip out West not in the lead when he left home, advanced to the final round of the Vegas points meet to take the lead, and then went to Pomona, Jed. He didn't have to win the race necessarily, but guess what, what he did? what he do, Luke? He won the damn race. <laughs> so two races out west for Lance Abbott, runner-up in Vegas, win in Pomona, not only uh, wins the championship, but really puts an excellent ex 
exclamation point on his season. The drama on Sunday, semifinal round top sports from yet Lance Abbott opposite Ed Open. Ed Open was one of the drivers who came into Pomona with a chance to win the title. By the time that Abbott had advanced to the semis, it eliminated Ed Open's chances. But obviously, that's a tough matchup, right? That's a, another championship contender alongside Lance Abbott in the semifinal round. And the way that the situation shook down was a win light for Abbott clinches the championship. If he wins that, advances to the final, he's the champ no matter what. However, if he were to fall in that matchup in the semifinal, Vince Hoda is in the pair right behind him in the water box. If Abbott loses and Hoda wins two more rounds, goes on to win the race, he wins the championship. So a ton of pressure coming into the semifinal round. And what does Lance Abbott do with that pressure, Big Jed? How about trip zip dead six in that semifinal round, six total to clinch the world championship? Pretty impressive stuff. Very impressive. Again, you know, it's you can try to gauge one class's pressure versus another, but once it gets to a certain level, you're just feeling that tension in your body and, and all of that pressure to go out and perform and to lay down six total with the perfect tree. I mean, that's, that is kicking the pressure uh, out the door and not, you know, not letting it impact you or affect you and getting the best result possible. And, and that's what Abbott did. That was, uh, that was remarkable in his own right. So with that win, like Abbott clinches the national championship. Now Vince Hoda did win the other semifinal behind him. So we got a one, two final round matchup at Pomona, the top two racers in the world, I guess, fittingly Lance Abbott ultimately gets that win as well. In addition to the championship, he wins the race like Bob Locke. This was Lance Abbott's first national event final. And obviously his first national event win, what better way to put the icing on the cake of that national championship season? I guess we take those two stories in a vacuum, Big Jed, Bob Locke and Lance Abbott. It kind of defies the idea that you've got to have experience to perform in those big spots, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I would say, um, you know, you, you definitely want to have been there before, but these guys are proof that having not lived through that type of pressure in this, these type of atmospheres before doesn't necessarily have to have an impact. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know what their, their keys were to getting themselves calm and in position to go out and execute the way that they had been, what got them to that point, but uh, certainly would love to hear if there was anything special to it or any special routines that they went through definitely want to hear the preparation and the mental and physical for that type of run and that type of pressure and how they battle through it. Sure. I mean, there's a, there's a line of thinking that I think we all want to default to that says, you know, um, the more experience you have, the easier that gets, or, or, or you, you've got to have, you got to have been through the fire to, to perform in that situation. But the truth is, if that was the case, no one would ever win something like this for the first time. And so obviously there's, there's some flaw in that logic, heavily defied by Bob Locke and Lance Abbott. Jed, we've got uh, a handful of other classes to get to here and, and plenty more storylines to discuss. But before we do, let's take a quick break for a word for some of the manufacturers that play a big role in making this show happen. Yeah, Luke, I uh, want to talk to everybody about our great friends at BTE, um, certainly a great supporter of ours here on the podcast. And 
uh, in our personal racing endeavors. Uh, really excited to have BT involved in anything and everything that we do. Uh, if you're in the market for a new transmission or torque converter or related components, the BT Black Friday sale uh, offers an incredible money saving uh, opportunity for anybody that's in need of parts. 20% off of all of those great things that they offer during their Black Friday sale, which is a, a wonderful opportunity to save some money, which is important to all of us. Um, you know, the professionals at BT, those guys manufacture quality components that I rely on, Luke relies on, and basically have for the better part of 25 years. And, you know, if you're wondering, yes, uh, we both have been around that long and we're both that old. So uh, definitely um, been relying on BT for a long time. The bottom line is they offer incredible products uh, year round, not just on Black Friday, but Black Friday is a great opportunity provides you a, a unique opportunity to stock up and, and save a lot of money with these huge discounts. So uh, place your Black Friday pre-order today and you can call the great folks at BT at 1-800-626-1828 or you can visit them at bteracing.com. Yeah, good stuff. Take advantage of that BTE Black Friday sale. Now, we led the show, Jed, talking about who else, right? Bob Locke. And Bob is a member of This Is Bracket Racing Lead, has been for a couple of years now. And I don't, don't misunderstand this. Like I am, we are not trying to take credit for Bob's success or the success of any elite member. Bob earned his victories, earned this championship. He's the one that's put in the work to make dramatic strides in his on-track game in a, in a relatively short period of time. And he's the guy that was able to compartmentalize all of it, like we just talked about, and put his best foot forward when it mattered most. And yet Bob points to Elite as a, as a resource. He, he's, he's said that Elite, quote, challenged him to become more than just a one-dimensional racer, end quote, like specific to the finish line. Those are Bob's words, not mine. Bob is a growth mindset kind of guy. Like I say, you'll see when you get it, when we get him on the show, hopefully next week, um, he's, he's an inspirational dude to talk to, right? Always looking to improve himself. And listen, I cannot promise that elite can make you become the next Bob Locke. That's a pretty high bar at this point. But if you're looking to really apply focus toward your racing, you're looking for something or someone to shed light on the ways that you can grow, the ways that you can improve, if you could benefit from a little bit of accountability along the way, I can promise you that This Is Bracket Racing Elite was established for you. You can learn more and join. Our enrollment period closes Friday. So check it out at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. All right, Jeds, we talked a little bit about, obviously, Supergas, top sportsman. Stock coming in. This was a two-horse race between two of the best stock eliminator racers in the country, not just this season, but for the last decade plus, right? Scooter Hidalgo, it's Brad Burton, the showdown at the OK Corral, also known as the Pomona Fairgrounds. Yeah, two racehorses. Uh, when you say two-horse race, it was two racehorses, no pun intended. Two of the best in the game, young talents, both of them very experienced, yet still fairly early in their racing career, assuming that that it runs as long as as uh, both of their fathers have competed in competition. Um, these two young men 
are bold, they're aggressive, they're talented. It, you know, no, no offense to anyone else that was part of this chase, but it's what you want to see it come down to, Luke. You want to see it come down to two people that know they have to take the bull by the horns and go out and lay down good laps. And that without the aid of, of the electronics and leaving on the top bulb, having to leave on the bottom bulb and doing it with cars that are very susceptible to weather changes and those things, it's what you want to watch. And this was very intriguing, interesting, and exciting. Two racers after your heart, Big Jed. Yes, love it, love it. Now I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna steal a little bit of credit here, Jed, because if you if you listen to last week's show, I mentioned, hey, if this race goes seven rounds, it brings about several potential tiebreak scenarios. Fortune teller, right here, Big you Jed. You did mention that soothsayer. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. That's exactly the way that this played out. They wound. They they. At the end of this story, we're about to tell. Brad Burton and Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. wound up tied atop the standings. The tiebreaker goes to Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. on the strength of what seemed like more than another round at the time, but we didn't realize it was going to be the sole determining factor in the championship. If you remember, these two met up first round of the Vegas national event. Cooter got the win. The first tiebreaker is head-to-head competition. That's the only time that they met up this season. That round is the reason that Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. ends up winning this race. So knowing that, let's turn back the hands of time just a little bit. This race, as Stock Eliminator does, it started before first round, right, in qualifying. And both of these racers saw the opportunity. It's a 65-car field. So it's a seven round race with a buy run every round until the final, right? And that creates certain windows that you want to be in. Obviously, everyone's going for the double buy run in that instance. Brad Burton's got the power. He goes to the pole. So he gets the first buy run and also positions him on a, a possible buy run in the semifinal round. Jimmy Dalgo Jr. says, okay, well, where can I position myself? Well, the next best thing, if I can't be first, I could be third. Third round would get a third qualifier would get the third round by run and again position himself for the semifinal by run. So if you put two and two together, that's where they ended up, which is exactly where they wanted to be. But I mentioned that, that they're both putting themselves in position for that semifinal by run. So then obviously their paths cross prior to the semifinals. That was on tap for round five. And had that come to fruition, the, the scenario was. Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. was leading coming in, but couldn't improve until round five. Brad Burton would take the lead with a round three victory. As they get to, Burton does, the, does just that. Or, I'm sorry, doesn't take the lead, gets to tie, right? Gets to the tie with the third round win. So now they're both there for fourth round. The situation is, if Burton wins, he technically takes the lead for a round. But if Hidalgo wins, they meet up in round five. The winner gets the bye in round six. So that potentially is a one round winner take all for all the marbles, right? And it looked like we were going to get there. They both make it to round four. Hidalgo wins. Burton is the next pair in the water and loses a double breakout race in round four to Chris Hall. That cements the championship for Hidalgo that present, prevents that ultimate head-to-head and Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. is your 2022 Stock Eliminator National Champion. 
Yeah, obviously a lot of drama building as those guys' paths were getting closer and closer to to crossing loop. But um, you know, I I saw a lot of chatter on Facebook that you don't typically see uh, when these points chases are coming down to the wire. But something about these two polarizing young men just had people excited, and I saw a lot of people wanting to wanting to follow along and keep up with what was happening. The interesting thing to me was Burton going number one for obvious reasons. He did that. And in the previous national in Vegas, and I understand Vegas is a little different animal, but he, he hung back there in the mid thirties uh, and with the power to, to go to the pole, basically the same crowd you're racing might be a little more difficult in Vegas with his setup and, and what, the, the Vegas air does to it, but that's very interesting to me that he, that he hung back in the mid thirties and then goes to Pomona and takes it to the pole just because he can. So a lot of strategy in there, I'm sure, but, uh, just it, it's odd the way it worked out to where he and Cooter tied up first round in Vegas, knowing Brad had the power to get himself in a different position. So really interesting the way it all played out. But, uh, if there was ever one earned, Cooter earned this one. Um, you know, Louisiana is a long way from Vegas and Pomona uh, really stretched himself out there to chase the dream and to go out there and get it done against arguably as good as there is in the game in Brad Burton. Uh, really remarkable, incredible performance by Cooter and, and just really happy to see him accomplish this goal. I know this was big for he and his family. Jimmy Hidalgo Jr., I guess, by the way, he didn't end up winning stock at Pomona for all those grand plans. Like we're going to get that Hidalgo Burton matchup and, and, and then one of them's going to go on to win the race. Chris Hall had other plans. He mowed through both of them. Right. But so Hidalgo didn't win stock at Pomona despite winning the world championship. But, oh, by the way, he did win super stock. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> so if we zoom out from this, we had three national champions. We just talked about Bob Locke. We talked about Lance Abbott, Jimmy Hidalgo Jr., three champions that won Pomona. I don't think that's ever happened before, right? You not only hold the trophy for winning the last race of the year, um, you, you hold the trophy for the national championship. More on Cooter in a minute. Um, focus on, on Burton for a second. Obviously, he's got two world championships on the mantle, right? There's Brad Burton has nothing to prove. But as much of a kick in the gut as it was for, say, Phil Unruh, Brad Burton literally staged for the round to take the lead twice in as many weeks and fell in that round, right? That's got to sting as, as you step back from it. Um, that's just like nothing away from Cooter. He's absolutely a, a deserving champion. Um, and, and on that note, like, I think Cooter coming into this season and then certainly coming into these last few weeks, I think he was on the short list, Jed, of the, I don't know, however you'd want to frame this, the most talented or the most accomplished NHRA racers without a championship, right? He'd been close several several times. I, I would, I would, I didn't do the math on this, but I'm going to say that Cooter's got close to a dozen, you know, 10 anyway, top 10 finishes over, over the course of the last oh, decade yeah. plus without ever getting to put the number one on, on the window. Um, I guess if we zoom out on that list, like we take Cooter off of it now, right? All time. It's always for me, it's Tommy Phillips like leads that list. I think he's been number two, six times. Tom, Tommy doesn't race much anymore. Mike Sawyer has been close a bunch, never won it. Um, Jody Lang headlined that forever, right? Yes. Uh, obviously, he's got a title of his own now. 
Um, there's a handful of other names that come to mind for me. Any for you, Jed, that that have, have been close to this, but seemingly the most deserving champions that haven't won one now that we can cross Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. off that list? Uh, you know, Luke, off the top of my head, I can't really think of uh, of anyone that that's, should be listed on the list. But, you know, to put it in perspective, when you start talking about other sports, you know, it's the he's the Dan Marino, the the Charles Barkley, um, you know, the, those guys were they're part of the greatest ever to do it, not win a championship. And, and Cooter was uh, on that list, uh, albeit on a much smaller scale in what we do in sportsman drag racing. But, you know, he is highly respected. Um, he's that guy that it was quite a surprise when people learned this was his first championship. I'm sure that that surprised many people. And, uh, and for him to go out and get it done again, a monumental challenge to, to outpoint one of the best to ever do it. And a two-time champion already, um, you know, that was, uh, that had to make it extra special, extra sweet. And it was, you know, as much as I hate it for Brad Burton, cause I really like Brad a lot. Uh, just really excited for Cooter to get that monkey off his back, Luke. And, you know, who knows where this leads now, you know, does this, does this feel the fire? Does this take pressure off of him to where he makes a run of these things? Wouldn't surprise me at all. He is that good. Oh, without question. Without question. I tried to tee up there. I had some low hanging fruit. Like it's in the show notes. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I, on a few other names that, that come to mind that, that have been close a bunch and haven't have yet to hoist the world championship walling. I, I would love for those of you on the live chat to chime in on this, but a few names that had come to mind, Ed Olpen, Tom Stalba, Kyle Rizzoli, who else, who else has made multiple top 10, maybe top five appearances without winning a championship, maybe who's next. Right. Um, so Cooter ends the season really similar to, to Bob Locke, like, he came into, I guess it would be St. Louis where, where Bob Locke showed out. And I want to say Cooter was quite off the radar because he's, he's Cooter, right? And everybody knows what he's capable of, but I don't believe he was in the top 10. He wins the national event in St. Louis. He wins the second leg of the double, goes to Vegas, puts together a bunch of rounds, goes to Pomona, puts together a bunch of rounds. Next thing you know, world freaking champion. So congrats to Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. Big Jed, we are 40 minutes in. And we haven't touched on Superstock, and it was just as 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 prominent as captivating as anything else that we talked about. PT. Well, you led the show with Peter the Great and Pete the Great. This is obviously the Pete the Great part of that, and uh, <laughs> you know, incredible. Um, obviously, made a little run, a wonderful year. It obviously ended with the championship, but you know. Pete was on quite a roller coaster, having good performances, continuing to build his points, and then a couple of key opportunities and didn't capitalize on it. Did well, but didn't fully capitalize. Wasn't going to travel any further anymore. Told you that. Ended up. What he going, told me. Ended up going to Vegas. Um, you know, gets out there and performs well. Gives himself. By the way, a, good call, Pete. <laughs> gives himself a number that you can be comfortable with 699 you you can be happy with that number and know that it is very difficult to beat and doesn't continue on to Pomona with an opportunity to to do better and and stop you know some other points chasers 
just decides to come home and let fate do what it does and it worked out for him so uh really exciting for pete diagnolo to to accomplish this goal um obviously he's a working man and it wasn't easy for him to stretch out and, and continue to chase the points and travel that much but uh, he took his chances took his shots and it all worked out for him so really cool stuff if we get an opportunity to to get pete on with us at some time this winter and hopefully we can do just that i think what i I want to hear as much as anything is the logistical challenge of getting to the banquet. Cause this wasn't over until late <laughs> yeah. Saturday night. Right. And he's at yeah. the banquet with his whole family Monday afternoon. Like that, that, that had to be a little bit stressful on, on some level, but yes. no, if you've, if you've listened to the show the last couple of weeks, this was an absolute heavyweight slug fest between Dagnolo and Greg Stanfield. And I guess to a lesser extent, Ryan McClanahan as well for the past couple of months, it was, and I mean, just trading haymakers. Uh, Dagnolo took the lead in St. Louis. Uh, Stanfield recaptured the lead in Vegas at the, the first leg of Vegas, the national event. Dagnolo did what he had to do and took the lead back at the Vegas divisional and then went home, right? Like, like Jed said, headed back East. So coming into Pomona, Pete D led with 699 points, which is an astronomical total. Um, but he was watching the race from home in New York and Greg Stanfield and Ryan McClanahan still had the opportunity to overtake him. McClanahan had to win the damn race, big Jed, and get some help. Ultimately he fell to a red light in round two opposite Cooter Hidalgo, just uh, to throw that in that left Stanfield. He had to win round four, which if you've been following along that round four is the theme in Superstock this year, it was, that was the round that allowed Stanfield to take the lead head to head opposite Dagnolo in Las Vegas. That was the round that Dagnolo had to win at the divisional to retake the lead. He did just that. It again falls to fourth round in Pomona. Stanfield has to win that round to take the lead. And much like Brad Burton did and like Stanfield has all season, he played the game qualifying. He, he qualified on the pole that earned him a first round by run. Second round red light beside him. Third round. He was paired with Connor Statler who was a, a no-show, right? Connor's, uh, I believe, a Stanfield Racing Engines employee, right? So take that for a yeah. minute. That was the source of some debate. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But basically, it's it's a it's a clear path to round four, the round that matters. And if you're PD watching this at home, like, you got to be sick. Like, can't, can't he at least after a race, you know what I mean? And, 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 and have a shot here. It sets up a fourth-round matchup with Tim Seymour. Stanfield, uncharacteristically, a little bit late. He's 46 on the tree. Seymour's 29 total, and that's it, right? A, a sixth championship for Greg Stanfield will have to wait at least one more year. So kudos to Stanfield. Kudos to Ryan McClanahan. Why Wagner, even for that matter, was involved in this really deep. But Pete Agnolo, deserving champion to be certain. And I know the the Potties episode is, is a few down the line, Big Jed, but the, the biggest award of the year is driver of the year. I correct me if I'm wrong. Like you could, if you want to make a, an argument for Nick Hastings, I'll, I'll listen, but I almost feel like it's a two horse race. It's Pete Dagnolo. It's Cal Caltrera. And it's not often that we would talk about the superstar world champion in that light, but Pete D is that guy this season. Unbeatable. Yeah. Back to back a uh, hundred grand wins for Caltrera and, and Pete D actually went in the 30 grander at the first event that Caltrera won a hundred K at, um, you know, it would be 
it would be hard to argue against Pete Diagnolo because he has performed so well in his Malibu on the bracket side of things when he's done that. And then to show his amazing skill level and go out and compete in Superstock the way he did and win that championship. And again, logistics is seemingly somewhat of a challenge for Pete, you know, to, to make all this happen and get to all these races. And uh, he really, you know, probably drove himself silly this year with all the driving and obviously winning Indy. Do we I have, have a, to say that? Do we have a potty for boss of the year? I don't know Pete <laughs> Boss, but he's got to be up there, right? Yeah, he's got to be a pretty understanding person for sure. Uh, so yeah, Pete. Uh, Pete would definitely be hard to argue against. I look forward to to breaking this down and seeing who we ultimately pick. But um, uh, he or Kyle one seemingly would have a stranglehold on this. All right. So I know we've discussed this on the show. I think multiple times, but it's been a year or so ago. Do you want to, do you want to go into the, the gifted round conversation? I guess yeah. specific to Stanfield, because I feel like he caught the brunt of this and I don't necessarily want to argue the other way, but I, I think I could add a little bit of perspective. Where do you stand on this? Luke, uh, you know, it's a, it's an impossible situation for uh, Stanfield engines, race engines, employee, um, to go up there and, and take a chance to, to beat the boss and, you know, end his run. It's an impossible scenario. I know that there's going to be the purists out there that say, no, you got to go up there and race. And, you know, you could possibly um, have a, a poor performance that looked like you were trying and that looks a whole lot better. Hmm that still runs the risk of somebody making a mistake that they wasn't supposed to make and it ended up going the wrong way. So I can't, uh, I can't be mad about this, this guy not showing up for the round. I just can't. I, I, I think I fully understand where his thought process is and, and not going up. I think I, I don't know Greg Stanfield, but I think I, have a pretty good understanding of him to the point where he didn't order it, uh, but maybe accepted it as it is what it is. And, you know, I, again, not something that I can let myself be mad about at all. This seems to be a, a source of consternation every season. And there were some rumblings uh, uh, about this with John LaBoost Jr. at uh, at the Vegas points meet. And then the situation with Stanfield. And I guess each situation, situation is a little bit different, but uh, let me, let me just try to add a little bit of perspective because it's very easy to look at this from, but to put yourself in Greg Stanfield's shoes and say, I don't want to win that way. And I agree. Like, I don't want to win that way. Right. My challenge for the, everyone that says that, and those of you that say that is to take yourself out of Greg Stanfield's shoes and put yourself in Connor Statler's shoes. Because the last thing that you want to do is be the guy that stands in the way of your mentor or your boss or your brother or your father or your son or your wife or whatever, the your buddy, whatever the case may be. Like, you don't want to win that round. You didn't 
ask to be in that situation, right? It's it, I don't I don't think this went so far as like if you're going to premeditated hook up on the ladder, you're probably going to do it first or second round, like third round. That's that's pretty convoluted. So I I don't I think saying that that was on purpose is probably giving them a little bit too much credit. And like I say, if you're in the shoes of the other, like that's just a round that you don't want to win. So I understand that now. In a perfect world, does the the burden or responsibility throw, fall back on Stanfield? Like, should Greg go to him and say, look, man, I realize the situation, but if you don't run me straight up here and try to kick my butt, we're going to have problems? Yeah, I think like that's what I'd love to see the most, but I don't fault anybody for not doing that because Stanfield wants to win the world. Statler wants to see him win the world. Like, I just... I have a hard time being, um, what's the word, like outraged at this. You know what I mean? Like, could it have been handled better? Perhaps, right? But I can see both sides of this. And I just, I think it's kind of an inevitable part of racing, I guess would be, I I don't know the best way to handle it, but I'm not going to knock these guys for handling it the way that they did. Yeah, uh, very well said. Um, You know, we we all want to see it play out uh, with real competition and and the the best racer emerge as the champion, but reality is it's the platform that elevates these types of situations, and where this was on the platform just elevated it to a very high level. You know, who's to say this doesn't happen first or second round somewhere early in the season, and it just gets overlooked? But now because it's such an important uh, piece of the puzzle in the championship chase. Now it happens and, you know, a lot of people are up in arms about it. So I, uh, I, I just, again, I, I don't know the right answer, but I just can't let myself be, be mad about the decision that was made to not show up because, uh, you know, I've seen this happen. We see it happen almost every year, Luke. It really, you know, somewhere along the line, this happens at times and, um, you know, do I think Greg Stanfield needed that? No, he's a, he's a talented guy and probably was a much better racer than the, the opponent that he was supposed to have, but there's one surefire way to make sure that he gets the point for the round or points for the round. And that's not show up. And, uh, I understand them taking that or the racer in question, taking that route. All right. So weigh in, like we want to hear your thoughts, your comments, post that in the, in the Facebook feed for those of you that are watching live and we're about to get to the, the AMA big Jed, the, the ask me anything portion of this. So be sure to, if you've got a topic, something that we haven't touched on that you want to discuss that you want to bring to our attention, be sure to post it there. Um, before we go there, Jed, I had a couple other kind of random notes from Pomona, the championship battles rightfully dominate the headlines. But a few other notes that were, were worth talking about. How about Jerron? Jerron Settles last two weekends were, I mean, it wasn't Bob Locke level stuff. It was pretty freaking good. He wins yes. the he wins the division event in Las Vegas. That secures the division seven championship for him. He backs that up by winning the world finals in Pomona. Just to put this into perspective, the Vegas win was his first divisional win. So his, his first Wally to earn his first division championship. Seven days later, he earns his first national event win. Got a trio of trophies there to kind of keep himself company. So congrats to Jerron. He's a likable guy. 
Yeah, the, the flying airbrush, imagine that customs. I mean, people know LeBron as a LeBron, Jerron as a talented guy. I don't know where LeBron come from. He might be the <laughs> he wishes LeBron, he was LeBron James <laughs> of, uh, of, uh, of painting race cars, right? Yes, he could and, be. And, and Todd Zeller is the Michael Jordan, right? The, 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 the debate <laughs> rages on. I'm sure I'll take a beating on Facebook for that one. But uh, nonetheless, Jerron, uh, super talented guy with, uh, with the paintbrush. Uh, quote unquote in his hand um, you know he puts the spiel on these cars and has painted a lot of the finest cars in sportsman racing and obviously doesn't get a lot of opportunity to go out and do this and compete in super comp racing long track racing which he loves and when he does he goes out and does this very very impressive from Jerron Settles and uh, you know Definitely, I want to see more. I want to see Jerron continue to to get out there more and, and take his shot at it because I think he races really good. I think late last year he had uh, some pretty good finishes uh, late in the season when he got the opportunity. So um, want to see more out of this, or out, more out of Jerron, uh, get more opportunities and, and see what he can accomplish. Coming into the world finals, Big Jed, Ryan Mangus had to win the event to finish in the top 10 of Stock Eliminator. Guess what he did? He won the damn race. Blake. He won the damn race, finished in the top 10. Cooter Hidalgo, your Stock Eliminator world champion, he needed to win the race in Stock Eliminator to finish in the top 10 of, of uh, I'm sorry, of Superstock. He had to win the race to finish in the top 10 of Superstock. What did he do, Big Jed? He won the damn race, Luke. Won the damn race <laughs> with his semifinal finish in top dragster. Our man, go dogs! Jeremy Hancock secures the highest points total in top dragster history. Big Jed, it was never in doubt late in the season. Jeremy Hancock is your top dragster world champion with the highest points total ever in a 7 0 bracket car. Big Jed, he did secure a fast ride to go west late in the season. Obviously, that helped his cause out, but how about the highest points total ever being basically a, a fast bracket car? Yeah, I love that. Obviously, this is really good stuff. Uh, Jeremy probably competes in uh, the only division that he could get by with that um, because there's some fast stuff seemingly in those other ones. There, there might be another division or two where he could get by with that at times, but uh you know, obviously he had to secure a, a lot stronger ride to go west and make sure that he gave himself the best opportunity to win the top dragster title. And it worked out. So uh super happy for Jeremy. I think that that I've I've said that at nauseum, but um this is a this is just a down-to-earth guy, you know, just a blue-collar working class man that uh, got in this class and took his shot with the equipment that he had and it's great equipment. Don't get me wrong, but it, it is slow in comparison to most top dragster entries and, and to go out there and do what he's done and then chase the dream West and get it done. Uh, just super happy for him and his family. Uh, a lot of people put a lot into Jeremy's racing program. It's not just him alone. It's his father. It's his wife. Uh, obviously his kid, his son races, uh, does well himself so this is a racing family that accomplished something very special and really, really happy for them. Did you see that Jeremy was rocking the Braves cap at the banquet? 
yeah, not a fan, um, but, you know, not a fan of the Georgia Bulldogs either. But I can say go dogs and go Braves for Jeremy because I love him. But, um, yeah, I mean, that should have been a Phillies hat, but whatever. <laughs> we mentioned we had uh, what I think is unprecedented. Three sportsmen world champions also win the event at Pomona. It was very nearly four. Did you happen to see the numbers from the competition eliminator final, Big Jed? We know we don't get much into comp, but Alan Wilson gets the win over your newly crowned world champion, Ryan Pretty. Like I say, he almost made it four world champs. And the only way that could get broken up, Pretty was like 20-something on the tree and 69 under. Alan Wilson had the advantage on the tree by 100th, matched the 69 under to win competition limiter. I guess similar in some respects, but I think even more extreme to that Brainerd final earlier in the year where uh, Brett Spear got the, the better of Bruno Massel Jr. Both took index in, in the process. This was that final. It looked like it was a win at all costs for Pretty and it didn't quite work out, but what a final. And just to put a nice bow on, on, on Sportsman Drag Racing podcast uh, business, Big Jen, Back in the summer, Kevin McKenna and I, we, we drafted the champions, right? And at the time, I felt really good about my team. Up until about a month ago, I thought, I have no chance, right? Kevin is skull dragging me on this, but it's changed so much. In the end, it's a wash, Big Jed. We got one world champion each. Kevin correctly identified Jim Glenn as your Super Comp world champion way back in June. And I hooked on to Lance Abbott. Hitch my wagon to that for a top sportsman. So we got one champion each. Probably not exactly what we set out for, but I'm I'm happy to break even. No, but I'm I'm happy to see that you met your match. Uh, you you took advantage of me for quite some time, Luke, of my lack of knowledge of how points work and trying to figure up who could improve and win and all those things. And I was just over here guessing like a fool. And you took advantage of that and made me look more the fool than I wanted to look. Kevin McKenna is your match, sir. And, and he is a, he's a guy that knows his way around picking winning racers. So I'm happy to see you finally uh, dealing with somebody on your level instead of taking advantage of the week. Mm, poor pitiful Jed. Yeah. A little bit of bracket racing over the weekend too, Big Jed, we'll touch on before we get to uh, the, the AMA portion of today's show. Loose Rocker, Door Slammer Nationals at Galat. And um, there's, not, there's not a lot to talk about, and, and yet there is. The Terminator. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm, out of, I'm out of superlatives. I'll let you go. You know, uh, I saw uh, I saw an interview that Michael Beard did uh, just with his phone of of Peter after he uh, he won that second race late Sunday evening, Sunday night, and uh, and he said, Peter, how many days have you competed in uh, in loose rocker events? And Peter said uh, three, and he said, how many times have you won? And Peter said three. I mean, this guy's amazing. He he took the the family Firebird number one, um, five eighty back half Firebird that his father bought in nineteen sixty nine, and Peter has redone it. Uh, he expressed to me uh, somewhere around um, October of last year, right before the the Great American Bracket Race Guaranteed Million, that he wasn't just like really happy with the car just yet. It wasn't quite where he wanted it to be. 
its own gas and it moved around a little bit. Um, but obviously that is now corrected. Um, he mentioned in the interview that for, uh, I guess, 12, 13, 14 months, whatever the case may be, that it has been with Dan Fletcher and, and those guys were basically going over it with a, with a fine tooth comb and making sure that it was good. And Peter said the car was incredible for both days of those 20 granders. But Luke, to, this is a 351 car entry race on Saturday. I don't know what it was on Sunday, but you have to think it's close or maybe even more which is incredible, by the way, with the forecast these guys had, Loose Rocker, to, to really dive into that forecast and say, I think, there's a, I think there's a good window when this rain stops that we can have a quality event because that's what those guys are about. And to accomplish that and have an amazing crowd to boot, uh, that was really good stuff. I was really happy to see that. But Peter to come in there and take the take the family Firebird and win both days of this thing, and that kind of talent. Peter to me is you know the best, arguably the best that's ever done it, ever will do it. But you still don't expect that out of even the best. I mean, just I watched as much of it as I could, and he was remarkable on both ends of the racetrack. Really, really focused and performed very well. And won both those 20 granders, Luke. I, I don't know what all you can, can and should say about Peter uh, in this scenario, but for a guy that don't race, he's a real badass, brother. <laughs> the, uh, the, the appearance to win ratio is off the charts. Like no one can compete with that because I don't, I mean, you want to, a 20 grand earlier this year at new media. I think he's knocked off a couple others up, up that way. I mean, I don't know that he's staged for round one more than not much more than a dozen times this year. And he's got like four big wins. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And to your point, right. you, uh, I'll ask you to remind the listener, when was the last time you and I saw the firebird that, that Pete wanted? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually saw it at uh, the, the great American, um million exactly that's but, my point at the end he, of at the end of 2021 yeah, yeah that's the last time yeah that's the last time pete saw it too yeah it <laughs> left there went to dan fletcher's shop in north carolina where it's been for over a year now fletch worked on it tested it definitely put the fletch on it right but pete never sat in it for the last year then he goes out there and doesn't lose i mean that's yeah. I just don't think there's many that could do that. And Pete seems to no. do it repeatedly. So, yeah, I mean, we could drum back up the goat discussion because right now I'm I'm 100% with you. Like, it's all Peter all the time. And then we'll go a couple of months and Scotty will win 100 grand or somewhere. And we'll we'll talk about that, right? It's it's 1A, 1B. It has been all my life. But, yeah, I mean, every every time that he goes, he makes another argument. It's It's absolutely... Absolutely incredible. I'm out of superlatives. Paige, jump on. What what do the listeners want? Direct this this show the rest of the way. We've got another, I got a hard out in about 40 minutes. Let's uh let's spend some time talking into Sportsman Drag, the, the hashtag loyal listeners. Okay. Yeah, they've actually been kind of quiet. So let's see. Uh I know Beard was chiming in and I shared it with our doc. Um 
but yeah, Bianca was amazing this weekend. It sounds like, yeah, with the weather change and all that. And pretty much Michael laughed out loud just because, you know, Bianca's impressive and why should we expect any different on Sunday? You know, um, he did ask us a pop quite like a pop quiz question. Um, Bianca won his first ADN in 2016. Who did he run in the finals? Ooh. Ooh. Trivia time. I remember what he was driving. He was driving Anthony Chevy too. So that um, was obviously done at Piedmont because that's where it was being held until this year's move to Galat. So who would he have run in the final at Piedmont? I feel like it was probably Sean Carpenter or somebody like that because that, that seems like somebody that goes to the final a lot, but I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You took my guess. Um, oh, sorry. My bad. I was going to go Sean Carpenter just because same thing, thinking geographically. Um, yeah. So he is saying when Pete won in 2016, it was only a second week driving Bertozzi's blue Chevy 2. So he was at least in the same one that Cisco cleaned up at the SFG 1.1. Right. If that jogs any memories. Let's oh yeah. See. Oh, he he finally. I think. Let's see if he gave us an answer. Oh wait, I I think I'm wrong. I'm I'm gonna say Tommy Cable, but I think I'm wrong. Could have been one of the past. That's your, that's your final answer. Yeah, yeah. I think we we've answered best we can. Okay. Who was it? Um, so Bianca's 2016 final round opponent was former IHRA world champion Jeff Parrish, father of Sunday's um, runner-up Blaine Parrish. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah, the, the Parrish family is very, very stout in that part of the country. Anywhere, really, but they they race quite a bit over there. That is a cool parallel. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thanks, Beard, for the impromptu trivia time. Yeah. Let's see. Larry has asked us, are there any winter updates? dates for both of you <laughs> yeah some that i really don't didn't want um jj blew his engine up in his s10 dropped a valve and uh it's beat up so all i need to do to his is rebuild the engine the transmission and the rear end and uh, and put some new tires on it uh really the the, the hood and the back glass are just fine uh, those are the only things that basically don't need to be changed on his and uh, no real upgrades for uh, my Nova, but um, I guess freshening the engine is an upgrade. So I need to, I need to do that, get that freshened up and get her back ready to go for, for next year. But I don't have any real significant changes happening this year. Thank goodness. Yeah, nothing real significant to the outside on our end. We'll have a we'll have a new to us motorhome coming. Um, so that's probably still about a month away. Uh, that'll be a welcome addition. But again, on the racetrack, probably won't see anything different. Gary's junior dragster's been stripped down to nothing. We're gonna get it repowder coated. We we beat it up, adding a few tabs and things like that this year. But motor freshen ups and your typical off season stuff. Nothing too exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot I got two so, junior dragsters too. Forgot about that. So <laughs> add it to the list. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite podcast episode ever? That coming from Anthony Hurst. 
Oh, goodness. Um, this is number 300. I have no idea what number it was, but the one that I got the most feedback off of that, that I've heard the most about was whatever number I discussed how I passed tech at the Gator Nationals, um, which, um, you know, that's a, that's quite a smelly story. Um, but I don't know if people seem to, to love it and enjoy it and reach out to me a lot. And I still hear a lot of times I'm at a race somewhere and they say, Hey man, I love the podcast. I loved it when you told how you passed tech at the Gators, you know? So, uh, I, I don't know if that one's necessarily my favorite, but, um, you know, I love to hear from the listeners and what they enjoyed and the fact that they enjoyed that one. I guess it would be way up there for me. As you know, Paige, and, and definitely loyal listeners are aware of, anytime we get a full-on Jed story time, it's it's usually memorable. That's a good one. There was an episode, Jed, where... I think the first time that you donned the Atlanta dragway burnout under the tower, that's a good one. Um, the, the circle track racing, getting pointers from Ken Schrader. That's yep. one of my personal favorites. That was a good one. Um, <laughs> if we, if you ask me Paige to, to take an episode, like where we had a, a an outside guest for whatever reason, we've, we've had some phenomenal guests. And, and for years, my answer to this was always Erica Enders. That was one of the first shows that we did. And I really enjoyed it. Um, don't even go back and listen to it. Cause I think like our sound quality production value was awful. Right. Um, but that was a lot of fun. And, um, it's been several years ago now. I actually remember doing this interview sitting in Las Vegas at, at I assume one of the flings. Um, but the, the show where we had Edmund Richardson on was one of my personal favorites, not just for the respect that I have for Big E, but how candid he was and how fun that conversation was one-on-one. -on -one. Like I, uh, that was, that was a really good one. And like I said, it's probably been four or five years ago. We've been doing this way too long, but those, those are some that stand yeah. out for me. What about you, Mark? Uh, my favorite, um, my favorite was and is and will probably always build it will be episode number 34 with Dan Fletcher. That was uh, yeah, that was good. That was probably uh, I was only around for I think I started on episode 27. So I was only around for a little while. And uh, I don't know that one yeah. really stuck with me. Yeah, that, that was right after his 100th win, right? I believe so. I think so too. The one thing I'll never forget is him saying he doesn't turn on the radio when he drives from, you know, drove from New York to California, like no radio. That's not possible. Yeah, it was really good stuff. It's Fletch's time to think, Jed. 40 hours of it. <laughs> uh, and I also enjoyed any show that had a Manscaped read in it. Um, <laughs> those those are always a good time. <laughs> I mean, one of the listeners asked, you know, what is that all? What's that story? But I'd be lying if I said they really asked you that. But no, um, yeah, we, we don't need we don't need to go too deep in the story time. I know pun intended, but, uh, you know, Manscaped was a was a great partner of ours for a while. We really connected. Yep. <laughs> My next story right. time is going to be. Um, and, and there's no time for it today, but it's going to be about, uh, when Timmy Smith and I came to the, uh, Jake summer door car shootout. 
many, many years. I think it was year two of that event, but uh, when we came up together and that's a, that's a pretty good story. So next time we, next show we dedicate to story time, remind me that that's my story. <laughs> that's what we call a tease in the business. Yeah, this right here will mean a lot more when I tell that story. A little visual for the yeah for the uh, the live audience there. Yes, this is getting off the rails. Page, bring us back. I mean, he's a natural with the camera. He says that he doesn't like the camera, but you know, I think he's lying. Um. All right. <laughs> so our next question. Um. Oh, where'd it go? Sorry, they've been there. There's more. So with millions up for grabs each year on the big money scene, the allure of a Wally remains strong despite minimal um, return on investment. Why do you think that is? Oh, that's a great question. We've talked about this a little on the show. Um, you know, it's the history, uh, the people that have done it before you. Um, obviously, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. It takes a lot of time. It takes good financing. It takes uh, good talent, good equipment. Um, and those opportunities are way different than big money bracket racing. You know, if you, if you race today in big money bracket racing and it doesn't go well, you might have three more days of it, different uh, events or different races during the event, three more days that you can accomplish the goal. Um, you can win a lot of money, but you can't win that trophy and, and that be part of that history. So they're very different, but I, I fully understand why winning a Wally and accomplishing that uh, means so much to the people that, that put so much into it, because that's a, that is a, a very important, iconic trophy in sportsmen or any type of racing. And uh, it just means more. It really does. I, I actually, I don't think that I have a great explanation. I thought about this for whatever reason uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, how would I, how could you explain that? Because on a lot of from a lot of standpoints, it, it makes zero sense. Like there's zero financial gain worse now than it's ever been um, to, to running the NHRA series. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. There's very little to win. Um, I think the level of competition is as difficult um, as anywhere. And I know that there'd be people that push back on that and say it's a little bit different at the big dollar races. Um, it's just a different form of competition, a different skill set, a different challenge. Um, the reason that I think it still resonates with people, Jed, I think I hadn't really thought about it from the standpoint of you get one shot. Like, I think that's part of it, like the finality of it. You know, there's, there's, there's no buyback. There's no second chance at each step along the way. And maybe this gets lost on <clears throat> anything past like our generation, Jed. I just, I grew up reading National Dragster and wanting to emulate the Scotty and Edmund Richardson's and Tommy Phillips and Sheldon Gecker and Sherman Adcock. Like that was, those were my heroes. And that was at that time, the unquestioned highest level. Right. And that history, 
injury, I think, has always carried a ton of weight for me. I don't know that that necessarily has the same effect on uh, the 20 year old racer coming up now, you know, as, as times have changed, but it still does for me. And, and I, and I think a lot of racers kind of, of, of my generation, but I think the biggest thing is what we spent the first hour of the show talking about the, the idea of a true season long points battle and the, it's not really the money, but the, the, the attention that is paid to it, like the, the, Fame's not the right word, but the recognition aspect of that. And it would be phenomenal. It would be interesting to see if that could be emulated in, say, big dollar bracket racing. Like, I think it would bring a ton more interest and in, in, in drama specifically to the end of the season. I don't know how you would do that with so many varying promoters and things like that, but a way to crown the quote unquote best at the end of the year. Like, I think that's a big part of what makes this so special. And you get that, I feel like on a, on a, a little bit different level, even with a local track championship, like I felt it with Gary watching the last race of the freaking Midwest junior series. You know what I mean? Like it's a season long thing that everybody's been vying for. And the, the, the tension of that last race, like it was a big deal. And you take that to the NHRA level and it's just like you pour gasoline on it. You know what I mean? Between national dragster, between Reinhardt on the mic and the live feed, like it's just, it's something that we talk about every week. Like it just, it feels like a bigger deal than it probably sensibly should be. Yeah. Very well said, Luke. Okay. So I have honored both of y'all so far on this podcast, one picture with um, Luke's race and one with Jared's. I noticed so that, that leads- Bristol background. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, you know, it doesn't get any better um than that but somebody wants to know actually jonathan rogers would like to know when are you going to collaborate on an event together oh wow um that's a really good question and something that i i would thoroughly enjoy uh luke is um luke is very detailed and he is very thorough uh so that might not he might not get out of me what he what he would need but um i would thoroughly enjoy uh working with luke and and trying to do uh you know i don't know the sportsman drag racing podcast nationals or whatever uh who even got a name yeah who knows what we'd call it but uh but he's he's a busy guy. He's obviously got his hand in a in a bottom bulb event as well with John Moggins and doing his own thing at I fifty seven. So uh, I've got plenty going on. But that would be cool at some point to to work with Luke and and do something, you know, with our brand involved, if you will. Absolutely. In theory, I think this would be awesome. I'd love to work with you, Jed. We should do the sportsman drag racing podcast nationals my my issue in uh in terms of of uh, actually putting that into place is i don't really have any desire to put on a race outside i-57 drag strip i don't have any desire to be involved in a race that pays more than like 15 grand to win so if we can work within those confines i'm in <laughs> yeah sounds great i like that range uh, i like the facility and and i like the 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 purse structure so um, you know, Luke, Luke works with me every week. 
So he knows uh, that, that I, I might not prepare as well as I should. Uh, just like a while ago when he tried to tee me up on the show notes to, to give some of the, the people that you'd think might have won a championship but hasn't won one yet, and I just totally missed that. So life is real busy. I don't know where I'd fit it in, but given the opportunity, I'd jump on it. That's the, see, that's the humble pie aspect. Like I'll show, I'll throw a little bit of praise back your way, Big Jed. The value that you bring that cannot be quantified is whenever the, A, there's never been anyone better at explaining to the racers what's going on, particularly when you've got to make a decision that might not be the most popular in the pits. And <laughs> yeah. When, when we worked together, like you, that most, our racers certainly remember you announced the first handful of years at the, the Jake summer door car shootout. That's probably the extent to which, you know, we've ever really worked together on a race. And any time that something of that nature came up, like it wasn't even like I had to explain to you what we were going to do. Hey, it was, it was a mutual decision for the most part, because we're leaning on each other. And there was never a, a discussion of like, hey, how do you frame this to the racers? Make sure that make sure that we hit the points here that, that matter, right? Like you just hand Jed the mic and let him go. Like that's the value that you bring that you that no one could prepare for. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, that just means that I've had a lot of practice delivering bad news. So uh, that may not may not be a great thing. <laughs> but you do it well. Um, this kind of segues into a question from the post we made last week, asking the listeners what they wanted to know. And Jason Haley did ask, what do you think the ideal race format is? So world foot break challenge. You, you yeah, go a lot of different ways like this, because I, I feel like it, it is very like where the race is and, and what the like there's a, I think there's different ideal formats for different types of events. Would that be a fair thing to say? But you take it where you want to, Jed. I'll let you go first. You know, that's a that's a great question by Jason, and and one that I don't think has a just a single answer. Um, but to try to put it in a nutshell for me, Jason, it would be an event that offers you a return on your investment at a fair point in the race. Um, I'm not a fan of races that say we're going to pay eight places or 16 places. Um, I, I don't think those events are planning for success. But when I see one that pays third round winner and it pays decent, then to me, that's a, that's a race promoter or track owner that is preparing for a successful event and a, a decent sized crowd to maybe a great crowd. So I really like that. I like uh, events that have um, a single opportunity to, to buy back into the race. Uh, I would prefer a re-entry round. I think everybody should win a round to get to second round. What you guarantee is when you get to the final, both racers have won the exact same amount of rounds. I think that's a cool thing and important. And then on top of that, uh, I would prefer non super top heavy stuff. I would like to see the, the payback uh, get narrowed up a little bit from winner to runner up and on down. Uh, I'm guilty as charged as of having top heavy purse events. 
So uh, I, I'm definitely being a little critical of my own format, but that format is what people seem to like. But for me personally, I would prefer that gap get narrowed uh, where you didn't necessarily have the, the split expectation. By all means, anybody can split anything they want to split, but certainly would like to run an event where that wasn't necessarily um, an absolute must for everybody to, to come out on the decent end of things. So, you know, uh, good concession stand matters too. So that's why I like I-57. What about you, Luke? I'll just, I'll, I'll take this strictly from like at the, the highest of levels. And I, this will admittedly be a unpopular uh, opinion, uh, particularly now. And don't misconstrue this. Like I'm not against double entry events, right? Like I think there's a time and place, but at the highest levels. And, and again, this is on the heels of the, the fall fling and the, the, the OG million that had what 600 plus entries at both of them. So obviously this format is supported. Um, at that level, I would prefer going back to the old, from a racer standpoint, one entry, if it's one entry per driver, that's fine. But one entry per car. The reason that I say that is because when double entries are allowed at a race, really regardless of the purse, but specific to the that number of cars, I've, I've, I've made this argument before, but I think it is a significant disadvantage to single enter just because the rounds are so spread out and you could race someone that's been down the track multiple times since you have, right? And when that's a, a 10 hour swing, like it may be a three, 400 swing on the racetrack and someone has a better handle on that than you do, then I, I think it's a significant advantage. I would argue that that advantage gets mitigated significantly if that opponent has been down the track multiple times in different cars. I don't think that's as big an advantage, but regardless, I, and the reason that that becomes an issue is because then when we go to that race, in order to really feel competitive, I feel like you have to double enter. Well, now you've doubled the cost of everything. And I realize in this day and age that getting to the racetrack is the bulk of the expense, right? And at that point, it's easy to justify just going all in, but it doesn't change the fact that it takes what might've been a thousand dollar tab and make it a $2,000 tab or what might've been a $2,500 tab and make it a $5,000 tab. And I just don't, I know that at that level, we are promoting to the, the elite to begin with, right? Like it's not necessarily the everyman, but that just exaggerates that even more. And obviously it's supported, obviously it's working. And it's one of those things where you're never going to put the toothpaste back in the bottle. Like I don't expect any of these races to ever go back. It makes too much freaking money, but from a long-term health of the sport standpoint, I do wonder if we're going in the right direction. So in my opinion, the ideal format for those events would be maybe it's paying a little bit more entry, maybe it's increasing the buybacks, what have you, but one shot for all. So that's my opinion. Yeah, I like that. All right, great answers. Um, this one is for Luke from Jeff Brigney. Um, will you be opening up with another Western Swing and what or who is your kryptonite? <laughs> Jeff knows the answer to that one. Um, <laughs> up in the air at this point. Ideally, um, what we would like to do is actually make a Northwestern swing next summer. Always wanted to spend some time in that part of the world. Always wanted to go on the Western swing. Um, so that is in play. 
Uh, we've also met with a, a home builder. We bought some land a couple of years ago. Eventually we're going to build on it. That might happen sooner than later. So if the wheels get in motion on that, our, we might be grounded a little bit, you know, as, as that process is going on. So a little bit too early to tell. Um, and we had kicked around the idea of starting back out West. But in a perfect world, we make another trip kind of similar, maybe not quite as long, but in a perfect world, it's to a little bit different location just to change things up. Not that we didn't enjoy um, our, our trip to the Southwest. And the uh, the kryptonite, this is hardly even relevant now because my kryptonite doesn't really race much anymore. But for years, since she started racing, the one that I cannot stand in the other lane is Mia Tedesco. And I love Mia. She beats me like a drum, big jib. I mean... It got, it's gotten to the point to where if I lay down five total, she will lay down four. And I am convinced that if I turn, if she turned it red, I would hit the wall. I can't beat her. It's just that. So she, there was a point, obviously to me as a world champion, there was a point in her career where she had won three, I believe it was three NHRA division races. Guess who run it up? All of them right here. We staged. <clears throat> And I mean, this wasn't, this isn't once or twice. I mean, this is like two dozen times she beats me like a drum, right? We were in Bradenton for the five day years ago and they had, Scotty had actually put on a race. It was a, a um, like for a, a dragster chassis and it rained or something. They weren't going to be able to get that race in. So they just tacked it on to the main event. Like if you were entered in the dragster, whoever was entered in the dragster race and went deepest in the main event, won the dragster. Well, it was down to just me and her. Right. And there's maybe six cars left in the main event. And uh, we get paired up and I'm rolling. I'm feeling it. I'm like, oh, not today. Uh, I got her today. Right. And I let go and thought, red. And it turned green. And I thought, oh, that is her. I got her finally. Right. And I'm going low dead on. And we eased on down through there. And it lights up. I look at my scoreboard and I'm dead on zero. And she's dead on four. And her wind light's on. And I'm I'm coasting the shutdown going, there ain't no way I was worse than four on the tree. Like, I thought I was red. How the hell did she beat me? I wasn't worse than four on the tree. I was four. She was perfect. Four oh. both lanes, dead zero her way for a freaking $30,000 dragster. So, yeah. Mia Tedesco, kryptonite. Mm. Yeah, that's tough. I would not want to see her in another lane if I felt like I couldn't beat her, which I, I don't ever beat her either. But that's tough. Okay. Um, Jeff did also want to thank Jed. Uh, he inspired him to get Manscaped. Thanks for caring, buddy. Um, I could have went the rest of my life without hearing that, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the next question uh, comes from Brooks Stevens Jr. Wants to know who both of your um, favorite racers are and your least favorite racer. Ooh. Well, least favorites, uh, could be a broad topic for a lot of reasons. Um, but I would say my least favorite racer that I've ever paired up against on a regular basis is Doyle K. Uh, now I'm going, I'm going way back here in the, in the time machine to Doyle and I had quite a lot of battles over the years off the foot, um, in Alabama and seemed like whenever I traveled and he was there, it, it, we got squared up there too. So Doyle was, um, Doyle was my kryptonite. He was the hardest opponent to beat. 
the easiest guy to like because he's just a genuinely good dude. But man, he's hard to beat. And and he's gotten back out recently after quite a long layoff. So I'm excited about that. Uh, my favorite racer. Um, I've got a lot of favorite racers. That's easily JJ. Um, JJ's my number one favorite, most favoritest of all time. Uh, but um, guys like Kevin Brannon, I love to see Kevin Brannon win. He's just a genuinely good man, good dude. I love seeing Jeremy Hancock win. Um, people like that, that I just enjoy seeing them compete and do well. Uh, those are those are my favorites, and that list could be easily 100 racers long, but um, I'd say KB's way up there at the top for me. They're just people that I enjoy watching do what they do and, and turn on wind lights. There are, uh, yeah, you could take this on a number of different directions. Like there are a, a number of racers that I love to root for, right? KB comes to mind. Matt Dattis comes to mind. Uh, Nick Hastings comes to mind. Like guys that are just hard to root against, right? They're just lovable characters. Uh, and there's a lot of that ilk. Um, if the question is more of who do I love to watch? Like I'm just, a, I'm a fan of greatness. Always have been, right? So whether that's watching Peter, watching Scotty, you know, I mean, for all my life today, my favorite to watch, like, Top all of it's Jeff Sarah, just because he goes about it in a way that I've never really seen anybody else go about it. And it just, it makes me laugh and shake my head at the same time. Like it's really impressive to watch. Uh, and on the bottom, I don't know, I'm a little bit removed from that scene, but if, if AD South does it like AD South used to do it in the day, that's, that's worth the price of admission and a lot of fun to watch. So he would, he would be up high on my list as well. Uh, as far as racers that I dislike, I'll take it the way you did, Jed, just didn't like, I dislike pulling up beside, in addition to Mia, the the McKeg brothers uh, from my part of the world, they don't really come over and race at I-57 anymore. And I'm glad those guys beat me like a drum too. Either one of them. It don't matter if it's Jeremy or Jason. They're, they're bad news. Beat me in every class I run. Yeah, we don't, we don't like people that do that. <laughs> it's one way to get on the list. Uh, I've got a bit of a hard out coming up. I know we got to come back and make a, an intro for the audio side of the podcast. So Paige, thanks for taking the reins and kind of uh, chipping in there. Jed, do you want to do our, our typical shutdown here and close this thing out? Yeah, most definitely. And again, uh, thank you, Paige, and enjoyed having you and, and Mark showing your beautiful mugs so people could uh, see who really makes this thing work. Um, certainly listeners, this was uh, this was scary scary as hell to me uh we really thought i would find every way possible to foul this up I'm not sure that i didn't but certainly appreciate uh you guys tuning in this long it's it's been really really different and really cool uh, but it does bring us to a close and uh we we've had an opportunity for you to interact with us quite a bit here and you've been doing that so we thank you for that but if uh, you want to go to our facebook page and discuss more of what we did here on the show if you liked it if you hated it whatever the case may be, by all means, go to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page and uh, let us hear from you. We, uh, we definitely love hearing from the listeners on um, show topics, ideas, thoughts, questions, what you like, what you didn't like, whatever the case, we want to hear from you. And you do that at the, at the Facebook page. Or if you don't want to do that publicly, you can send us a private message and producer Mark will snag that right up and get it to us. 
Luke, live shouts. Uh, this was first, so I'm excited about this. Shouts to Jerron Settles and LeBron James. <laughs> shouts to the Braves <laughs> and the Bulldogs to go dogs. Shouts to JJ's hood and back glass. Shouts to Kevin McKenna. Shouts to Chris Hall for screwing everything up at Pomona, not giving <laughs> us that, that Burton Hidalgo matchup that we were looking for. Shouts to Pete the Great and Peter the Great. And shouts, Big Jed, to winning the damn race. Yes, which a lot of people did. Great stuff. Man, Luke. did they. Bob Locke. Some good live <laughs> shouts right there. That was the first time in our 300 episodes. So good stuff. Um, listeners, that wraps us up. Luke and I are on Twitter. We love to tweet. So if you're active on the Twitter, reach out to us right there at Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We want to hear from you. Tag us, add us, bag us, whatever you do there. We'd love to hear from you. That wraps us up on the first live episode ever in the history of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Although I called Jerron Settles LeBron, I think it was a success. Had a blast. Enjoyed it. And we can't wait wait to talk to you again real soon about more Sportsman Drag Racing. Thanks for tuning in. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.